Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode four, recorded on October 22nd, 2020. I'm Alan Cross, along with Locomobi World founder and CEO, Grant Furlane. And our guest today is Daniel Marinovich, the Chief Development Officer of Dream Unlimited, a Toronto company that's very deep into the design and construction of smart communities. And he has some very interesting views on what smart means. But first, here's the latest news from the connected world with Grant. Okay, well, uh, smart cities, we'll say, or infrastructure. Um, I can't uh, probably go anywhere without talking about the recent um, uh, Department of Justice filing a trust suit against Google. Um, I think we have to realize that that's a big deal. Um, not sure I agree with it, but uh, it's, it's, it's worth for conversation, as you know. Uh, they feel that Google controls too much of what people say and how we say it, and they, they ratchet everything to their liking. Um, Can I interrupt yeah, here for yeah, just a second? Yeah. What has Google invented themselves? About one and a half things. A great search engine. Phenomenal search engine. Um, that everybody uses. And a uh, and Gmail. Everything else that Google has done. They augment. Well, they've either, they purchase and augment or the stuff that they've decided to develop in-house, it's all crashed and burned. Um, yes and no. I'm a, as you know, I'm a pretty big Google follower being a Google programmer and so on as well. But um, their artificial intelligence is pretty strong. Um, their, their cars, their, um, you know, and <clears throat> driverless cars. What Google do is they are looking more towards the very far future. But you're right. They started with database. They started with, uh, with, um, with search. But remember, um, that's no, no easy thing to do. And I think what people don't understand, and you said in one right, I said even better, is there's nothing to shut them down for uh, when you really look at it. Because um, what Google have done is they've created an infrastructure we all want. They're, they're a verb. You know, when, when you, you, nobody says search for this online. Everybody says Google it. But I do get the other side. But that's a political thing, if you ask me. I, I just hope they don't do anything because I'm going to tell you something. When we broke down Standard Oil to six oil companies, we just had six oil companies dominate the world together and fix the pricing versus controlling one. It doesn't do anything. And, and same whether it be, and we're not talking about Google here. We are talking about everything. When does the government decide to shut down Facebook? Apple. Uh, Apple. Uh, oh, no, they have Amazon. too many users. Yeah, well, and Microsoft went through it. So, uh, but it's a big discussion. I think it's big news. I think it's really big news. I think we all got to think about it. So that's my first big talk today. Um, okay, here's a better one, though. In the world of parking, uh, they were building some new infrastructure uh, in Britain and England. And they, um, lo and behold, I don't know how many people own parkades out there, but they dug up the parkade and then below, below it was a monastery. Full-blown, built-out monastery, medieval. And it was a basis of the Carmelite Friars, which was a Christian religious group, order. group, order, or even better, we can call it if we want, uh, cult. <laughs> but essentially, it was in the 1200s and 1300s. And anyhow, long term is it was fully preserved buildings, hallways, 
and they're digging it up now underneath a parking garage. And remember, parking garages, a lot of them are built on the cheapest, easiest piece of land. So everyone, what's underneath your parking garage? One more. Give me one more story. Okay. Uh, I think a big story locally is um, the city of uh, Oakville. Um, just received, uh, not city of Oakville, Ford Motor Company. Uh, is getting a multi-billion dollar investment from the provincial and federal governments to build electric cars. Uh, that's a big infrastructure move. I think the fact that, uh, ironically, I don't want to pat my back, but I ordered a Mach-E electric car. Oh, you have? Okay. And I ordered it a month and a half ago. I don't know if I made the right decision, but I thought I'd try something electric for, uh, for, for us to drive around. And um, it's being built in Oakville. Uh, well, it does two things. It obviously provides lots of jobs, but uh, uh, that type of a $2 billion investment in a country this size into Ford Motor Company tells you we're very serious about the future of our environment. And it's not just Ford. I mean, they did the same thing with Windsor and, and uh, Fiat Dodge. And, Chrysler. Yeah. And then you've got uh, General Motors just announced the big one in, in Tennessee where they're going to build the Hummer electric vehicle. It's exploded all of a sudden. And obviously, we have to go to, say, Tesla started it. I don't think Tesla will finish it. I think this is definitely a, um, a, a, a sounding that the big three are there. And, you know, don't, don't, don't laugh about, uh, oh, yeah, it's great, all these other Tesla startups. And I have investments, by the way, in most of the electric company, car companies, including the ones in China, which are all fantastic. But I always knew... The strength behind the big three, or let's include Europe, Mercedes and all that was, let them do the heavy lifting. And when the market's right, we'll come out. Because to this day, about two and a half percent of people are buying electric cars. It's terrible. But now you can see the change and what these big guys have said. Okay, I'll come in now. Mercedes is in. Volkswagen is in. Everybody. Volvo's in. Tata, which is Land Rover Jaguar, is in. They're all in. And, and, and you, don't, you probably don't know this, and I'll talk in a different segment, but we have our own car company in. We had a group here do it. We'll get back to that. Yes, but that's the news today. Daniel Marinovich is the Chief Development Officer of Dream Unlimited, a developer of office and residential space in Toronto and beyond, including a very impressive project straddling Ottawa Gatineau. He visited us at Locomobile World Studios to talk about his company's vision of smart communities. Now, what we have here is is a story about a company that has really taken the planned smart community to another level. Is 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 that fair to characterize what you're doing? Uh, it absolutely is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say that smart is probably a, a subset, though, of uh, of impact. And we try to, and everything that we do is uh, is to try to big, build impactful communities. So, do you have you have your own definition of smart then? We have everything that we do would be would be characterized as smart or impactful. I would say. How did this vision start to build entire smart cities? Sure. So smart would be uh, for us uh, uh, maybe a subset of uh, building impactful uh, and comprehensive communities. And we've been in the community building business since 1994. It was our, our company's been founded by our chief responsibility officer, Michael Cooper. Today, we manage about $8 billion of uh, various real estate assets um, throughout Canada, the U.S., and, uh, and through Europe. Our first investments in, the commu- in community building were actually out in Western Canada. Today, we manage about n- over 9,000 acres of land out in, uh, in Western Canada, um, uh, primarily in Alberta and in, uh, and in Saskatchewan. Um, out there, you know, we, we, we basically build everything within, within the communities, um, so all the leading infrastructure, roads, parks, uh, sewer, water, storm, all that, all that stuff. 
homes, uh, multifamily, uh, and the whole bit. And um, you know, over the last twenty five years or so, we've really been uh, perfecting how uh, how we build communities uh, uh, effectively. I'd say that um, now where we see ourselves today, we're really at the leading edge of impact investing and and impact uh, community building. Uh, so we're generating uh, strong financial returns through uh, providing positive social environmental impacts in the communities and outcomes that are that are measurable. Um, so in everything that we do, we try to focus on, you know, is it creating, uh, is it good for affordability? Is it good creating, uh, is it energy efficient? Is it reducing the overall carbon footprint of what we're doing? Are we creating inclusive communities? Um, are we creating opportunities for everything that we're doing? Um, and obviously, you know, when you, when you say smart, smart would be, that's why I say smart would probably be a subset of the overall in terms of what we're doing. Well, you're, you're, you're developing new projects and Correct. then that those projects have to be smart. Uh, absolutely. Everything, everything that you're doing has to be smart. Yeah. And I guess it's how you define, how you define smart. So smart goes far and over and above beyond than just, just, uh, and just technology. I'm interested more, uh, you keep using the word impactful and I like that because smart plays a part of it. But what do you mean by impactful? And who are you trying to impact? I know it sounds general, but who are you trying to impact? Uh, sure. So, I mean, I would say that um, when we look at the various verticals, you know, if you take something like the the West Downlands, for for example, I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that's an example of, of an afford, affordable housing impact community that, that we're doing. It's a purpose-built multifamily rental community downtown Toronto. You know, it's going to be 1,500 units. 30% are going to be at a significant discount to prevailing market rates. If you look at in terms of what we're doing for inclusivity, um, you know, we're, we're currently uh, developing a mixed-use Indigenous hub in the Canary District. Um, it's in downtown Toronto. It's wait, in wait, partnership. back up. Mm-hmm. A mixed-use Indigenous hub. What just define that? Yeah. So, in what we're doing is, so we're 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 creating. Um, it's going to be a, a health center, a career center, a daycare, and uh, and also a, and, a, and a rental building as well. That's going to be owned and managed. That's going to be managed by us as, as well. So, what we have here now is is you creating these big developments that are really all encompassing to all manner of of living, working, shopping. Caring for people, everything that all has you just can't put up a bunch of houses like Levittown in the old days. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I would say when you say old days, I think that probably really resonates because I think the developers of the past were probably known to take the path of least resistance in order to be able to, you know, to be able to monetize the, the real estate accordingly. I think that there's a, a significant premium on doing good. And I think that we really pride ourselves and champion well, ourselves on, on well, doing, doing good. good. Accordingly. Doing good is a selling feature now. It is a, it is a, uh, an absolute standard and, uh, and, a, and, a, and just, just the price for showing up. Yeah. You know, I think what the point I liked about most he said, what you have to understand in this world of a smart development and, and we'll call community living, it sounds like you are staying in the game. A lot of developers build it and get out of the game. You're building it to stay in the game and continue on being part of that growth. I think that's a big Big, big game changer. Yeah, I mean, so we're involved in, in incredible communities out in Western Canada, throughout Ontario, throughout the country. And uh, we have a, a tremendous uh, responsibility a, a accordingly in order to to do good. And um, for all those that are going to be living, working, and uh, and playing and thriving within, within these communities accordingly. So when you say smart, smart in, you know, today's vernacular, I would say automatic, your brain automatically goes to technology. For us... Um, you know, those core fundamentals really need to be laid out 
Um, and then technology then becomes an enabler. So smart in, in, the, in the greater sense of the world. It's just the right thing to do. Absolutely correct. Correct. Yeah, for sure. So how do you choose a location to build such a large project? Do you look for access? Do you look for you know, green contributions like local energy? What attracts you to a, a development? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, you know, the old adage with real estate is always on on location for sure. Um, for us, I think that we pride ourselves on solving problems effectively. So, you know, we look at a development and we say, you know, can we provide families with more stable and healthier lives? Can we influence uh, the designs that we're, you know, we're emphasizing inclusion, diversity, health and wellness? You know, are we able to implement sustainable development practices? So if a development meets those tests effectively, then we start to look at it. We also, we've been focusing a lot on the UN has published, you know, their list of sustainable uh, development goals. So no poverty, zero hunger, good health, uh, quality education, so on and so forth. Um, so for us, we look at those, we look if there's a problem that can be solved. We look to see if whether we can do good. And then from there, then we start to roll out the fundamentals, uh, you know, the classic fundamentals of real estate development in terms of planning, leading infrastructure and, the, and you know, uh, finance, economics, and, and the whole bit accordingly. Yeah, I think that, you know, what I think is amazing is when you're developing a, a plan like this, and I, I did speak at, uh, on infrastructure at the UN three years ago in New York. And it was about, not about the ability that we want to be good, because you do. It also has to be able to, to, to generate income. Because if it doesn't, why would you build it? It's nice to be nice. I want to be nice, but we're not around it. We can't make it, make it sustainable economically. Um, and so when you're doing your models, do you have, um, you know, this is sustainable over 30 years. Um, we see this as a 50-year project. And maybe that's way beyond what I'm thinking. But I'm just curious as you have to look at very different than if I'm popping up a building and handing it over to the owners in two years. Right. And I think, I mean, I think what you're speaking to is the core concept of, of impact investing, which is, um, you know, can you generate strong financial returns while at the same time providing positive and social uh, environmental impacts in the, in the communities that we, uh, that we, that we build in effectively. So there's what you're doing, I think goes beyond, you know, ESG in that, you know, you've got outcomes which need to be quantifiable and measurable accordingly. Okay. Let's assume you have your smart community. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like Grant just said, it's not just a matter of throwing up a building mm-hmm. and then walking away once you hand it over to the new owners. Mm-hmm. You've got to def- uh, design and build a lot more infrastructure than another b- a developer would. I mean, you have to. This infrastructure has to support this entire community and the ethos of of how what you want to do. So, how do you do that? You know, you listen to the land, right? Um, so, in if you take, for example, the 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 community that we're doing in um, in Ottawa Gatineau called uh, Zibi, um, you know, for for background, it's a it's a thirty four acre mixed use waterfront uh, community. It's going to uh, have about six thousand workers, five thousand residents. It's going to be the first one planet master planned community and uh, one of the least environmentally impactful communities in North America. Uh, six public parks, six public plazas, and at the core of it, we have this uh, ZB community utility, which we're building in partnership with uh, with Ottawa Hydro. And um, when you talk about the infrastructure, you know there we have a tremendous. Uh, good fortune in being in close proximity to uh, a Kruger paper mill, 
and as well as being adjacent to the Ottawa River. So um, for us, we were able to solve a problem. Again, going back to the problem solving, um, you know, how do you deliver good in terms of sustainability and, and the like? So we were able to, you know, to harness uh, the effluent energy from the Kruger Products uh, Gatineau plant for the heating, and we're able to leverage the Ottawa wait, River wait, wait, for wait. cooling. You're using waste heat from a paper mill, correct? Correct. In order for as part of our district cooling system, uh, heating and cooling system, and um, and the the result provides zero carbon heating and cooling for all of our tenants and the residents within within the city accordingly. So it's its own standalone utility that that we're developing there accordingly. So completely off the grid. Well, no, off sort of you know off the hydro grid. Uh, it's its own, it's its own utility. It's its own, it's its own utility accordingly. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be one example of, um, of the work that we do when you talk about, you know, the, the infrastructure and looking to solve the problems of, of 2020. Hopefully we can try to find something that's, uh, you know, pandemic solving and, uh, in the the next project that we're doing and, uh, and, and, but, but that's the type of thing that we just, that we generally do. Well, well, that's kind of like having an open mind pandemic you have to have that open ability to, to, to adapt well there's a there's a somebody who's building a spec house here in oakville and one of the things that they have in this spec house is uh uv lights in all the closets that is designed to kill any microorganisms on any coats or clothes that you bring into the house so you know it's amazing um it doesn't ever stop but i think when you go back to something that uh like zebia or dream and i would rather say dream because uh, the overall vision but I mean, y'all, and I, I don't say this jokingly, like, do you have a mayor? Do you have someone that's going to overlook yeah, is, this is little a, town? Is there a condo board? Is, is there? No, no, I don't but, care about the condo well, board. No, Think of this. But if you've got, you know, five or 6,000 people working in a, in a master. No, no. And probably another double that coming in every okay, day. You have right. a little town. All right. So let's say you've got 10,000 people in a live work area. <laughs> How do you? How do you administer that? It's unbelievable. It takes a lot of organization. This is a mini city. Yes. Right. So again, I think in, in everything that without we're doing, I mean, these are, um, you know, these are our communities of uh, size and scale. And um, again, that's why I, I'm trying to, smart is again, a subset. And again, it starts with the land. It starts with what the problems that you're looking to solve. It starts with the thought process behind it. So, um, you know, with, with something like Zebi. We have, uh, you know, we received worldwide recognition for the planning efforts that we had there accordingly. You really have to think about um, what the interface is going to be. Um, how are people going to live there? What their access to food, what their access to, to work, how walkable it is. Can they ride their bikes? Do you need a car? Do you need a car? I mean, so on something like ZB, I mean, we are... Uh, it is the, the walkability score is very high. Um, we, you know, in something like uh, what we're doing out in Alberta, we just launched our Alpine Park community out in Alberta, um, which is, again, it's a, it's a significant 650 acre uh, community. It's going to be um, home to a significant population in, in, the, in, the, in the southwest of that city where people have been waiting for, for a number of decades for development to take place. And, um, you know, we engaged with, uh, with a leading planner by the name of Peter Calthorpe, who's kind of at the forefront of what's called new urbanism, um, which takes a very pragmatic approach to how communities get built. I mean, how walkable are they? What, what the interface is going to be between the buildings and the parks and, and their places of, of work and, and, and the whole bit to move away from exactly that, the traditional car heavy uh, suburbs of, of the past to create healthier and happier lives uh, accordingly. Is this mixed density? 
Uh, the, the, the first phases are going to be, uh, are, are going to be residential. Um, but then after that, then we're going to be moving into a, a more uh, significant sort of a mixed use. Uh, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a, like a town center that we're effectively going to be building there. Will you have things like townhouses and detached homes? We, we have, uh, we, we're, we're building absolutely everything. We're building absolutely all, all, all forming typologies, all forming typologies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he's right. I, I think that what people don't understand, they think this technology solves the issues. They don't. They only are a great uh, support for someone's vision. So while they're trying to manage these humongous or, or huge uh, developments, they're going to look to all kinds of technology to support them to get to their goal. But it's a support mechanism. Uh, so that's 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 one hundred percent it. Um, the, 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 the key principles need to be there. Um, and those key principles for us are, are a lot about doing good and about kind of, and, and, um, moving in, in that positive direction accordingly. And then from there, what applications and what systems can you put into place in order to, to, to en- en- enhance that? Let's talk security. I mean, you've got, again, 10,000 people living in this mini city. What kind of security do you have in place? Right. So again, just to change the narrative, security in a conventional sense would imply uh, keeping people out. Whereas I think that we pride ourselves on creating communities that are very much inclusive and bringing people in. So again, that can, that starts with, are we building happy, healthy uh, communities where our kids can play, um, where we can, you know, we can keep it, we, we can keep an eye on the, there's good, healthy interactions. Do you have front porches? Are the neighbors talking to one another? Um, you know, in the communities that we built, uh, we have, um, you know, we may lead with uh, a community center that we build ourselves that will start to host salsa dancing classes and cooking lessons and yoga classes and, and the whole bit to bring the people in so that they all get to know one another. So that the reliance on, I would say, security in a conventional sense um, is there. Now, obviously, you're going to be going into the technologies and, and the whole bit and you can talk about, um, you know, until the cows come home, what you can do in order to, I mean, there's no shortage of ways to, to monitor activity if that's what you wanted to do. But um, for us, it's more, it's more of an exercise of building things that are inclusive, happy and healthy. So it's, it's security through community. Security through community. You can have that. You've, you, I, <laughs> you heard it here first. We all want it. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. What do you look in the, for, what kind of technologies do you look for? What, what do you implement in, uh, you know, this is a technology podcast. Yeah. So we have to talk about that. Sure. What do you implement in your development? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, so, you know, we're, we're, um, we're, we're involved with a company also called Elate, which, uh, you know, which, uh, which invests and, uh, you know, partners with um, uh, various prop tech uh, companies. And I'd say just overall, um, anything that really kind of enhances the, the experience. So if it's, an, if it's a, a building, what are we, how are we finding out more about the buildings that, that we're managing and maintaining and, 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 uh, how are we improving the, the, the experience for our tenants? What are we doing in order to, um, to bring down our, our operating expenses, to make our buildings more efficient, reduce our carbon footprint and the like? The technologies themselves, I mean, are they going to last the test of time? Are they just a flash in the pan? Um, again, if it comes down to our residents and, and our communities, how, what are we doing to make their lives better? I mean, we're obviously, we're all busy in our day-to-day. We're all becoming more technology, uh, you know, reliant on, on technology and, and, and the whole bit. What are we doing in order to not overburden or create redundant technologies, but rather things that are genuinely helping accordingly. And long-term sustainable. And long-term sustainable, yeah. Finally, um, 
where do you see the smart community growing? Is it an urban thing only? Is it applicable for rural destinations? Look, I'd say that, um, again, I'd say that communities of impact um, and communities that are smart are going to be, are, and buildings uh, are, are going to be found everywhere. I think there's a lot of discussion in today's market in terms of what's happening to our downtowns and what's happening to our cities. I think people are freaked out as a result of this pandemic right now, and rightfully so. Um, are, what does it mean to live in dense buildings? I, I was going to ask that because yeah. a lot of people are moving out of downtown cores looking for places sure. with more room. Sure, sure. So, which I would say is a normal knee-jerk um, reaction to something like this. I think that if you were, you know, if you were living in a in an apartment and this pandemic's hit, and you know, was also augmented by a lot of social unrest in the home. But I think you, you were you, like, I think that you, there was probably some level of discomfort of living in an, in an in an urban setting in an urban environment, and we're definitely seeing uh, more activity right now in in the suburbs, um, and we're seeing some uptick in inventories and some softness in the, in the rental market in the downtown accordingly. Um, that being said, I'm a very big believer in this country. I think that we're doing a very good job, generally speaking, um, in terms of uh, kind of our presence on the, on the global stage and the like. I think that people are going to want to, con- to continue to come here. Um, you know, the federal government has put out some pretty ambitious standards with respect to new Canadians and, and, and the like. And I think that Canada will continue to be a destination for people to come and to grow. And I think that growth is going to continue to happen. And I think that um, our urban centers are, once things settle down a little bit um, with this incredibly disruptive pandemic, that it will continue to be a a great place over the long term. Well, we are seeing a lot of people coming in from Asia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the living accommodations and working accommodations in places like South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, and so on, do have elements of of smart city construction to them. So you're going to have new immigrants demanding these new things, or at least expecting them. In terms of uh, technologies and the like, I would say, um, sure. And I would, I would say just even in, in the various typologies, I mean, if you're talking about just, even if you're talking about dense settings and the whole bit, which I think there's there's been a lot of kind of question. I mean, I, I am a child of, of immigrant parents. I grew up in a small apartment uh, in the junction and the like. And um, that was kind of a normal way to to grow up for us, and I think that uh, you know new Canadians that that will, will that are kind of going to come in, I think, are going to um, appreciate uh, the amount of uh, infrastructure spending that that we're doing with respect to transit. There's a lot of stuff that's happening right now. Yeah, if there's one, you know, Achilles heel to all this yeah. in so many markets, it's availability of public transit. Uh, it, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, if you look at some developments that are happening in downtown Toronto, you're putting building, 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 and there's no public transit to serve all those new people coming into that particular area. Mm-hmm. So a lot of jurisdictions are not spending enough money on on public transit. I, I would say, you know, right now, we're we're at the receiving end, I would say, of a lot of stuff that's been planned out even going back to as early as I think it was like 2008 when, whenever the big move was um, you know we're seeing the you know we're seeing the L- Eglinton LRT as an example that that's come up we're seeing um, you know the uh, uh, you know the UP Express and so on and we're seeing a lot of, of, of uh, you know work that's being done by, by Metrolinx and, and the like so I think that once this pandemic settles, we will see the onboarding of a lot of new infrastructure that's that's going to be coming in that will help to take ease off and the burden off of some of our existing uh, transit infrastructure. I think he's right. I, I think that 
Part of the problem has been the pandemic, obviously. But what it's also done, guys, is the pandemic has changed the minds of people. And I'll be clear, like, um, I kind of like going to work with no traffic. I kind of like uh, knowing that I can hop in my car and not sit in it for an hour to get downtown. My concern now is it's gotten busier. And you know why? No transit. Now that it's not there, no one will take it. So I'm going to get back to, like, I believe that it's not a transit problem. It's an infrastructure transportation problem. You can't solve that. You can build all the cities you want, and you're in trouble. So I think as you solve every single way to link transportation, to get them in and out of communities, even if you had, you know, there's going to be places where you're going to drop your car off before you get in the community and take a, a, a rail in. Um, but I think that what you have to understand is, the, the infrastructure that we're seeing now has really accelerated. And I, I'm with you, by the way, uh, Daniel, on the urban. I think it comes right back. I think the mix is different. I think they're going to say, okay, we, we are going to have drop-off service. We are going to have restaurants delivering. For the urban to actually to survive, it has to adapt. As you remember, we had one of the leaders from Amazon in here, uh, Sandy, who's one of the leaders in the world and social and, and, and smart um, said, you have to listen to what people are asking for. And of course, Daniel made that point, listen to the, the ground or the, or the water or whatever. Um, and I think you have to do that now. And we have to adapt to what people want. And so I think we have to get them back on the transit, quite frankly, um, particularly for the carbon imprint. And the way to do that, I bring it back to that, it's technology. Why? Because you have to talk to people. I mean, how many positive things do you get a day? Probably almost zero. We need to get that back into the mind that we have great things and we can protect you. Not necessarily do things to protect, but we can. Uh, we can be inclusive. All those things have been accelerated because of the pandemic. You know, I'd say is that I read this. It was a couple of issues ago in the National Geographic. They, it was all about the pan, It was all about pandemics, and they said um, just how incredibly unnatural it is because people in times of crisis, whether it's been Know, whether it's been war or terrorist attack or, or whatever, come closer together. Whereas this is a crisis where you're, form, you're, you're forced to be apart. And you can even see with, you know, with our health officials and, and politicians and, and the whole bit, they're struggling because people, they want to be together. You can't, you can't, you, you're, you're physically, it's tough. You, you can't keep them out of gyms. You can't keep them out of restaurants. You can't keep them out of school. They actually, they want to be together. We're social beings. We want to be together. So it's very unnatural for us to, to be apart. So, I think that uh, over time, I think, you know, once things settle down a little bit, hopefully it will, it will come that, that natural urge will, will come back. If people want to get in touch with you about dream projects, how can they do that? Just find me at uh, a dream. It's pretty easy. Dream.ca. And that's it for this edition of the smart city podcast. And thanks again to our guest, Daniel Marinovich from dream unlimited. Future programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, or if you want to reach us, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Again, that's feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And our website is thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistants, Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.